time for the Vintage Truth Podcast with best-selling author and Bible teacher, Jeff Kinley. Welcome to the Vintage Truth Podcast. I'm Jeff Kinley, and we are discussing some amazing, incredible, in-your-face truths from Romans chapter 1, and we're talking about this whole idea of has God abandoned America and what does that even mean? And what does it mean to say that God has, like they used to say, Elvis has left the building, that God has left the building. Well, we're talking about the end of America, question marks, my latest book, Bible prophecy and a country in crisis. And unless you have been in some sort of coma the past several months, you know that America is in crisis. And as we've traced America's roots to see where we are right now, it's, it's obvious that we are a country in crisis. But we were talking through this whole idea, this concept of what I call abandonment wrath. What does that really mean? Well, from Romans chapter one, we talked about last time that mankind, our country, has basically suppressed the truth that is obvious about God in creation, the fact that he is, the fact that he is the creator, that he is the supreme divine being with discernible attributes of infinity and, and eternal power and a divine nature. Scripture says they've been clearly seen in Romans 1.20 and understood. So this is not a confusing concept for humanity is that God is there and that he is understandable in terms of his power and his divinity. But we saw last time that we have refused to acknowledge God as such. And as a result, God says, well, it's kind of like, you know, throwing the penalty flag on the football field. God, you just crossed the line there. Uh, that's an illegal move in God's kingdom. And he says the penalty for that is not, 10 or 15 yards, the, the penalty is that you lose part of your light. You lose part of the ability to understand what life is all about. That's what verse 21 says. So they become futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. And professing to be wise, it says they became fools. So people that posture themselves as being morally superior over those who believe in God and those who are Christians, God says that they think of themselves as being erudite. They think of themselves as being wise or posh or superior in some way, intellectually or scientifically or whatever. God says they're fools. I mean, God said that. I didn't say that. God said it. The word fool there is the Greek word moros, M-O-R-O-S. It's the word from which we get the word moron. Say, so what's the significance of that? Well, the word moron is an English, well, it's a transliteration of the Greek word, but the actual English word was coined by a psychologist back in uh, 1910. His name was Henry Goddard, oddly enough. And he was a psychologist and he coined the term moron to refer to a mildly intellectually disabled person. Now, obviously, that's a very, very politically incorrect thing to say about an intellectually disabled person. We don't call them morons. 
But God does call people morons. He says, if you think you're smarter than me, you're a moron. If you think you're smarter than the Bible, you're an idiot. Now, you can remedy that situation and not be an idiot, but it requires acknowledging something about the existence of God and who that God is. And God says, you can have that light restored, that understanding about life restored. So anyway, it says that professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. This whole idea of, of worshiping nature, of worshiping the planet, of worshiping the things on the planet, the creation, worshiping the creation instead of the creator. How dumb is that? I mean, that's like going to like the National Gallery in London, which I've been to many times. It's just because I'm, a, I'm an art idiot and I don't know much about art. So when I go there, I'm completely just overwhelmed. Look at these paintings on the wall, like a six-foot-tall painting that was done in, you know, fifteen twenty or whatever. And you're looking at this and you're going, this looks like a Photoshop document. I mean, how can a human being actually brushstroke such depth and light and relationship between light and shadow and all these things? And I don't even know how to appreciate art other than just to look at it and go, wow, that's amazing. Or, or, or like going to, um, like a couple of years ago, my wife and I went to Paris and we saw the Mona Lisa. And I remember staring at the Mona Lisa, you know, perhaps the most famous painting of all time. And you look at the Mona Lisa and you go, wow, that's, that, that's amazing. But you don't worship, you don't venerate, you don't, give thanks to the painting. You talk about how great the painter is because the painting would not have existed had there not been a painter. So when you see a Da Vinci or a, Mo, a, um, a Monet or some of these great artists, that's why they're great artists because they're the creator of the object. And when you worship the creator, the creation instead of the creator, you're not being smart. So what we have to do is we have to invent new religions because when we take God and we say, well, this is not an option for me to worship the God of the Bible, you have to create your own stuff. And so that's why you have, you know, Hinduism, Buddhism, these religions that, that have literally like millions of gods that they worship. And, and a lot of them are, are animals or combination of animal men. So when you suppress the truth, when you deny that there's a God, even though you know in your heart that he's really there, when you refuse to acknowledge him or to worship him, your foolish heart is darkened. You think you're wise, but you're a fool. And then you start worshiping things that aren't gods, even yourself. So when you're left to yourself over time, it's like a piece of meat. You, you bring home a piece of meat from the freezer. If you don't, or from the grocery store, if you don't put it in the freezer or the, or the refrigerator, eventually that meat's going to start to decay. And if you've ever, if you've ever been around decaying meat or, or, or that chicken that you threw away in the garbage can and 
all of a sudden it's like roadkill. That's because things decay like that. Well, the human spirit, the human heart does the same thing. So real quickly, what I want us to do in the time remaining is talk about these three judgments that God gives a culture when they refuse to do the things that we just talked about. When they act from verses 18 through 23 in Romans 1, what happens in verses 24 through 32? And here's what happens. First of all, is that in verse 24, you see where it says, Therefore God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, that their bodies might be dishonored among them. So the first thing we see is dishonoring desires, desires that dishonor themselves and that dishonor God, quite frankly. This is a sexual revolution is what we're talking about, is the whole idea is that God you know, has given the gift of sexuality to mankind, but lust is, has taken over because there's no God to check that lust. So the person is just left to himself. Now, the word lust is a Greek word that just simply means strong desire. I mean, it can refer to anything. In fact, it can be translated many ways depending on the context. And in fact, in this very actual very uh, book, Paul talks about the, the Romans. And he says over in um, verse 11, he says, For I long to see you in order that I may impart some spiritual gift to you so that you can be established in the faith. That word long is the same word that is used for lust in the Bible. So it just means strong desire, okay? So context determines everything. But what happens is, is that God, it says God gave them over. Now this word gave them over is actually one word in the Greek. It's the, the Greek word paradidomai, paradidomai. And it refers to a handing over. Um, it's used in the Gospels and in Acts to signify being arrested or put in prison. Uh, Paul, or excuse me, Peter used the verb when he speaks of fallen angels being cast into hell after they first sinned. It's also a word that's used to refer to the Father's abandonment of Jesus at the cross. In fact, again, in this same book in Romans 4 and verse 25, Paul writes, talking about Jesus, he says, he was he who was delivered up because of our transgression and was raised because of our justification. The word deliver, delivered up is the same word. It just means to hand over something. Jesus was handed over to suffer for our sins. And he's saying here that culture, civilization, is being handed over to their own lust. So instead of being arrested and put into prison, God says, I'm letting your own desires arrest you. I'm letting your own desires incarcerate you put you in handcuffs, imprison you. And certainly Paul observed an abundance of sexual promiscuity in ancient Corinth 2,000 years ago. He, he saw it in, in Rome. That's why he told the, the Corinthians, by the way, to flee immorality. He said every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. It dishonors his own body and how it was meant to be uh, created, meant to be used. And so... We live in a society that's soaked in sexual sin. I mean, there's no denying it. It's nothing new in the world. But at no time in America's history has sexual sin been so prevalent and promoted. 
So, wow. I mean, think about it. 12% of all internet websites are pornographic. That's about 24 million websites. 40 million visitors are regular visitors to these sites. Uh, One third of them are women. The average age a child sees his first pornographic images are, is now 11 years old. You know, when I was growing up, it was that that creepy uncle who had a magazine hidden under his mattress. You know, that that's the only pornography that <laughs> that my generation really saw. But you know what? It's it's everywhere. Ninety three point two percent of boys and sixty two percent of all girls will see porn before their eighteenth birthday. You know, it's it's like it's in the air. I mean, if you've got a phone, it's there, right? Um, you know, people justify porn and all this other stuff in our society. There's so much I could say about it. $15 billion a year that the porn industry is making. Uh, but there's also a physical fallout from it. Obviously, it's, uh, God says that their bodies would be dishonored. According to the Centers of Disease Control and Prevention, half of all sexually active people will contract an STD by age 25, 50% of all people who are having sex will get an STD before or by their age 25. Wow. That's, that's incredible. So there's a sexual revolution that takes place, dishonoring desires. The second thing that he says in verse 26, he says, again, he says, for this reason, God gave them over. There's paradidomi again. God handed them over to degrading passions for their women exchange the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also, the men abandoned the natural function for, for having a desire for women and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. So these degrading passions, we go from a sexual revolution to a homosexual revolution. Now, there's several clear truths I want to point out in this. This is not going to be popular. This is part of what I call dead cat preaching, okay? And dead cat preaching refers, I have it in the book, it's when Whitfield, George Whitfield went to, uh, to preach and he preached against sin. He said people would hurl rotten fruit at him and, and rocks and then one person you know, rumored, it's rumored that they threw a dead cat at him, you know, has <laughs> to say, stop preaching. This is dead cat preaching. This is the kind of preaching that people want to throw dead things at you. Okay. But there's several clear truths that come from these verses. One is this, the sin of homosexuality. Now listen to this. The sin of homosexuality is a re- direct result of rejecting God and refusing to submit to him. That's verses 18 through 23. And it's an indication of an advanced stage of divine abandonment. I hope you heard that. Those who are involved in homosexuality as a lifestyle are those on whom God's wrath of abandonment has come. That's a truth from Scripture. Now, there are many factors that support and contribute to someone being a homosexual, environmental factors, family factors, divorce factors, abandonment by parent factors, uh, peer factors, emotional uh, makeup, your emotional makeup, 
uh, your life experience with the opposite sex, your life experience with the same sex. There are many things that contribute to that. So it's not to say that a, that a person, you know, there aren't other things that, that help that, but there's still a choice to make. No one has to become a homosexual. No one is born a homosexual. So not that it's not difficult. Some people are born with more of a tendency to be angry, more of a tendency to, um, to be lustful, more of a tendency to be passive or quiet or whatever, you know, and, and uh, not all those things are wrong, obviously. But some people have a weakness towards being drawn into homosexual desire. And that's a sinful urge and a temptation, just like it is for a heterosexual to be sinfully drawn towards someone of an, the opposite sex. So in that sense, there's a similarity there. But that's one of the truths there is that it's a direct result of rejecting God and refusing to submit to him. Secondly, lesbianism from this passage is also unnatural and runs contrary to creation. I don't know how in the world you can believe in evolution and not say that homosexuality is unnatural. Because without God, if there's no God and there's just evolution, then you have to say that homosexuality is a perversion, an abnormality, because it doesn't propagate the species, okay? You can't reproduce. It's impossible to happen. So it's unnatural, God says. So the natural function of a woman is to desire a man, not another woman. So forsaking the God of nature leads to altering the order of nature. Do you get that? So when you forsake the God who created nature, then, then you will naturally alter the very order and nature of nature, of humanity. Same is true for male homosexuality. It's very interesting what theologian Charles Hodge had to say about this whole idea of lesbianism. Very interesting. He says, quote, women are the last to be affected in the decay of morals in a society, and their corruption is therefore proof that all virtue has been lost in a society. You know, men are just, we're beasts, we're naturally corrupt, but you know what, when a whole society, of, when women go down, when women just completely decay morally, when they go down the tubes morally and begin choosing these lifestyles, God said, or excuse me, Charles Hodge says, that's pretty much the, the death knell of a society because women are those who usually keep men from doing the stupid stuff. You know, women have a higher, it seems a higher sensitivity to morality and to justice than men do. I don't know that's stereotypical, but it's just an observation. Listen to this. In its June 2015 decision, the United States Supreme Court ruled that marital unions between lesbians and male homosexuals was officially a, quote, right, end quote. Concerning this decision, Justice Samuel Alito remarked, quote, as far as I'm aware, until the end of the 20th century, there was never a nation or a culture that recognized marriage between two people of the same sex, end quote. Guess what? He was right. In all of recorded history, there has never been the recognition of a legal contractual marriage between homosexuals until our day. Oh, but wait, 
there's one exception to that. According to Jewish scholars, writing in the intertestamental period between the Old Testament and the New Testament, Jewish rabbis wrote this. They wrote that during the days of Noah, that marriage contracts were written between men and men and women and women, and that actually wedding songs were composed for such weddings. Now, we don't have that in Scripture. This is the Jewish tradition concerning the days of Noah. And according to these Jewish theologians, they said that, that contractual agreement between homosexuals to hijack God's design for marriage is exactly what brought the global flood on planet Earth. That's some dead cat preaching right there. Oh my gosh, time's up. I'm going to stop it right there. We're going to conclude this Romans 1 next time on the Vintage Truth Podcast. I can't wait to tell you what's next. We'll see you then.